guys, how's it going? This is Hub, and I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense. As you may have noticed, we've got some different theme music going on at the beginning. That is because this is our first episode covering the Defenders instead of the new Teen Titans, and I wanted to make there be some kind of uh, differentiation between the episodes at the outset to uh, avoid confusion. Also because I love that Parliament song and I wanted to get to use it. So, there's that. We got some really nice feedback about the first episode, and thank you again for coming back and joining us. It's been really fun, and I'm really excited that we get to talk about The Defenders, because it is maybe my favorite comic book ever. Yeah, it has a string of great writers, and in many ways, I think it's kind of the quintessential 70s superhero team book, or at least perhaps the one that best embraces the era that it takes place in. So, it's mid-October. That spookiest time of year is rapidly approaching. I'm talking, of course, about election season. And while I try not to get too political on the podcast, with mixed success, as certain iTunes reviews will attest to, there's something going on that I I think I wouldn't be doing my duty as an American if I didn't address. There's some pretty scary things happening politically in this country right now. For example, when I went to the grocery store the other day, I bought some eggnog. Now, I know what you're thinking. Hub, it's middle of October. How is eggnog available? I know, but it was there, so I bought it, and I drank it, and I'm gonna keep drinking it, because I'm a human being, and that's what human beings do when eggnog is available. But there's something very wrong about being able to buy Halloween candy and eggnog at the same time. Something dangerous. Now, I don't know whose responsibility it is to stop me from drinking too much eggnog. Somebody in the government. Maybe the mayor? I don't really know what mayors do, other than attend fancy parties that Batman might be at. But it seems to me they could take some time out of attending those fancy Batman parties and... Maybe get off their high horse and stop me from drinking so much goddamn eggnog. Because I don't want to have the kidneys of a 97-year-old dairy farmer by the time February rolls around. So, I need you guys to get out there and vote. Vote your conscience and vote for me to not be able to drink eggnog four months a year. Thank you, I'll climb off my political soapbox now, but something needed to be said. And, well... With great power comes great responsibility. So, I felt like I should say something. Thank you, my fellow Americans. All right, enough of this monkey shine. We got some defenders to talk about, so let's start talking. Without any further ado, let's ado this. Keep your pitchforks clamped together with some Triton clips. But first, stay tuned for the synopsis. Wow. I've done maybe 60 of those synopsis rhymes. I think that might be the worst one yet. Please send in your synopsis rhymes so that uh, I don't have to do that again. <laughs> Although, to be fair, if you are having trouble keeping your pitchforks clamped together, you could do worse than getting some Triton clips. Although, it doesn't really rhyme. Anyway. Marvel feature number one. December 1971. There's three different stories in here. Rather than do them the order they appear in in the book, I'm going to do them in chronological order. So, Submariner and the Icebergs. 
Written by Bill Everett. Drotted by Bill Everett. And, you know what? Inked by Bill Everett. Reprinted from the Submariner number 40, June 1955. Namor is hanging out in Atlantis with his cousin Namora when a whole bunch of American boats show up in the water above them. Namor reckons that the stupid surface dwellers are fixing to attack Atlantis because they hate him so much. Yeah, it's nice to see that even back in the day, it was all about Namor with him. He asks his dad the king if he can please go blow up all the boats, please. His dad tells him to chill out for a while, but even in the 50s, Namor had no chill. He grabs Namor and a bunch of his Atlantean buddies and they push a bunch of icebergs around to trap the ships. Pretty good prank. Probably worth noting that everyone in Atlantis except for Namor and Namora is blue and has giant black eyes and a white handlebar mustache. It's a good look, honestly. The American in charge of the expedition has his crew blow up the icebergs with dynamite. When chunks of exploding icebergs start falling onto Atlantis, Namor goes back to his dad and is like, See, I told you the surface dwellers were going to attack us. Oh, Namor. King Dad is convinced and says, Hey, Namora, you're pretty sneaky. Want to go blow up the main boat? She says, Yes, please. Only it turns out she isn't as sneaky as King Dad thought she was, because the Americans catch her and take her hostage. Namor is super pissed. Like, even more so than usual, which is saying something. He storms aboard the ship looking to bust some heads, but the captain tells him to calm down. He only took Namora hostage because he wanted to talk to Namor. He goes on to explain that the Americans don't mean Atlantis any harm. They just heard that there was some uranium around here, and they wanted to find it so they could go do science to it. See, Namor? It was nothing sinister after all. The Americans just want to invade your sovereign nation and take its resources for their military-industrial complex. For science! Well, as soon as Submariner hears that, he's like, Stop talking. You had me at science. I love science. It's the best. Go ahead and do whatever you want. The Americans tell him thanks and that their science instruments noticed that when Namor and his buddies moved the icebergs around, it must have fucked with some tectonic plates or something, because now Atlantis is going to explode. Oh no! The two cousins swim down to warn King Dad that he has to evacuate the city. Namor's good-for-nothing stepbrother, Bira, thinks it's just a trap and still wants to blow up the Americans, but Namor tells him, Shut up, Bira, you idiot! They said science at me and science is the best! King Dad agrees that Bira is an idiot, and they manage to evacuate the city just before the whole place goes kabloom. Hooray! Namor drags a sheepish Bira aboard the ship and makes him apologize to the captain. You know, despite the fact that Namor was the one who started the attack on the ships and moved the icebergs around that made Atlantis blow up. Classic Namor. God, I love the Submariner. Then we get a Doctor Strange short called The Return. Written by Roy Thomas, drotted by Don Hack, with inks by Frank Giacoy. Giacoya? Something like that. So I guess about a year and a half before this story starts, after doing some universe-level bad guy fighting, Doctor Strange called in a favor and had the cosmic entity Eternity take away his magic powers, give him a shittier apartment a few blocks away from his totally rad Greenwich Village brownstone, his sanctum sanctorum, if you will, and change him from Dr. Stephen Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, to Stephen Sanders, medical consultant. Huh. Steve, I don't want to tell you how to spend your favors from omnipotent cosmic entities, but you probably could have just gone down to the courthouse and spent like 50 bucks to change your name and then moved. Just saying. Anyway. Steve Sanders is wandering around his old neighborhood when he sees that the lights are on in his sanctum sanctorum. What the hell? I guess he's worried that Eternity left the bills in his name or something? Because he barges in and demands that his faithful manservant Wong tell him what's going on. Wong is like, who the fuck are you? I don't know any Steve Sanders. You better leave before my boss Dr. Strange shows up. 
He's a hotshit magician, and he's been really super grumpy for the last year and a half or so. Huh? Sure enough, some dude shows up dressed as Doctor Strange, claiming to be the Sorcerer Supreme. He's wearing the blue face mask Doctor Strange wore for a little while in the late 60s, so Steve can't really tell who the imposter is. Anyway, the counterfeit Strange uses his magic to smack the shit out of Steve Sanders and is about to kill him or something when Wong interrupts and is like, Boss, please stop killing that dude. I made us some dinner. Apparently Wong must be a hell of a cook because the substitute Strange puts his mystical smackdown on hold to go eat supper. But Wong's culinary distraction may have come too late because Sanders' knee Strange is on death's door. Fortunately, Strange's old mentor, and I do mean old mentor, the Ancient One, pops in and tells Steve that he can fix him up, but he'll have to restore his mystical powers and the responsibilities that go along with them. And no backsies this time. The Ancient One looks inside Steven's unconscious mind and says that he can tell that he agrees to the deal. Uh... That is a super sketchy version of consent, Ancient One. Not cool. Not cool. Now restored to full health and power, and presumably his old name? Stephen Strange, knee Sanders, wakes up and mystically beats the crap out of the fake Doctor Strange. When he unmasks the imposter, it turns out to be his old nemesis, Baron Mordo. That asshole! The once-in-future Strange is about to send Mordo to magic jail or whatever when the evil wizard disappears in a puff of smoke. Strange reluctantly resigns himself to the fact that he must once again resume the mantle of Earth's mystical protector, regardless of the personal cost. Hooray! Then we get to our main feature, Day of the Defenders, written by Roy Thomas, drotted by Ross Andrew, with inks by Bill Everett. Defenders Roll Call, Doctor Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme, The Incredible Hulk, Namor, the Submariner, and kinda Silver Surfer, a little bit. Doctor Strange is hanging around in his sanctum when he hears someone ghostly whispering his name. He thinks it might be Wong, but Wong is standing right there and has a normal voice, so that seems like a really bad guess. He goes all astral and sends his ghost self out to check out who's yelling for him. His investigations lead him to a hospital room where the doctors are all confused that a guy who got hit by a truck and won't talk acted super stoked when they told him he was going to die soon. When the doctors leave the room, the guy reveals that he can see Doctor Strange's ghost, and he is in fact Yandroth, the Scientist Supreme, Steve's old foe. I like that nickname. Last time they fought, Steve left him tumbling through infinite universes, forever falling. Well, they ain't making forever like they used to, because after a while he stopped falling and ended up in a dimension that gave him some magic. Then he returned to Earth. How did he return to Earth? He explains that by saying, never mind how. Well, that settles that. Anyway, when he got back, he was so pissed off that he used his new magic and a buttload of science to build a giant computer that will destroy the planet five hours after he dies, which he is about to, because a truck hit him. Doctor Strange uses his magic to get the doctors to try to save Yandroth's life, which I guess they weren't going to do before, but to no avail. He dies anyway. Luckily, he left a forwarding address, so we know that the evil doomsday computer, which he named Omegatron, I guess after that weird Autobot that lives on the moon and is a train, is in the town of Point Promontory, Maine. The good doctor decides he needs some muscle to back his play against Omegatron, so he decides to recruit Namor, the Hulk, and the Silver Surfer. He approaches Namor first, and the Atlantean says, sure. 
They check on the surfer, but he's too sleepy right now. Possibly because he keeps ramming his head into the invisible barrier, tethering him to the Earth's atmosphere, and then plummeting back to Earth. Oh dear. Then Strange sends his astral form out to act like an arrogant asshole, which doesn't exactly tax his acting ability, and make fun of the Hulk a bunch in order to lure the Jade Giant to where the Sorcerer and the Atlantean Prince are hanging out so they can try to convince him to join their team. Wow. You've really got away with people, Steve. Predictably, the Hulk gets pissed, but then he says he'll help them if they will be his friends. Aww. Hulk, you just smashed my heart. The trio of heroes sets off into the wilderness of Maine in search of the Armageddon-triggering appliance. Then they get lost and have to stop and ask for directions. They show up at a backwoods farmhouse in the middle of the night, and Doctor Strange asks the elderly couple living there if they've seen a giant computer anywhere in the area. I know, I know, you'd think they'd be alarmed to receive visitors that late at night. But Strange uses his powers to disguise himself as an extra from Guys and Dolls, and the elderly Mainers are totally charmed. Because if there's one thing native residents of Maine love, it's wealthy men in fancy suits from out of state. They tell the dapper doctor that he's probably looking for the fancy new lighthouse down the road. Turns out that fancy lighthouse is indeed the fortress housing Yandroth's sinister creation. Hulk and Namor start smashing their way through the base's defenses, while Steve ghosts in and starts talking to Omegatron. The Big O reveals that it has all been a trap, and that when Hulk and Namor punch him, that kinetic energy is going to power the doomsday device and blow up the planet. Oh no! Strange uses his sorcery to trick his allies into punching each other instead of the computer, but Omegatron says that was close enough and he was still able to get enough kinetic energy to blow up the world when he yells Yandroth in a few seconds. So, Doctor Strange creates a magic bubble around Omegatron that will slow down time, making those few seconds last forever. Hooray! Although, seems kind of like you could have cast that spell at the beginning of the story and avoided a lot of hassle. Yeah, I guess that's why I'm not the Sorcerer Supreme. Yet. As our three heroes respectively leap and fly off, Steve offers up that if they ever started a team, they should totally be called the Defenders. Namor and Hulk respond that, well, that is true, they aren't going to form a team with him because they value their autonomy, and also, they think Doctor Strange is kind of an asshole. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I'm okay, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. So... What'd you think? I enjoyed this comic book. Me um, too. I don't want to disparage past comic books that I've been read, but it's been nice to have read something that feels... It's still a little bit silly, but... It's, it's definitely it's, silly, but it's it's good. Yeah, it's like, very well put together. Yeah, I am in a similar boat. I don't want to be disparaging towards specifically last week's comic book, but this is much more cohesive, and it's just... Honestly, it's just better. Roy Thomas fucking knocked it out of the park with this one. I am sometimes disparaging of his work. He has a tendency to be a little bit too wordy for my taste. It works better with certain types of comic books than with others. I think part of my problem is I first started reading his early 80s, late 70s stuff, specifically All-Star Squadron, which is just a very cluttered book. It has like 30 characters in it, and he's definitely a comic book historian and really liked Golden Age stuff. But sometimes his enthusiasm kind of made the comic books, especially he would have all of this dialogue and then a panel with like 30 characters in it, and it would just be kind of a cluttered mess. This, it's a little bit wordy, but it's cool words. And it's like, it's neat. And he's got a really good feel for the characters. And I really liked it. I really liked Ross Andrews' art. Mm -hmm. 
as just really cool looking, uh, really stylized in a different kind of way. I'm not used to seeing really just so many small lines mm-hmm. and not in like a nineties, like Rob Liefeld type of way where the lines are there for no reason, mm. but it, it definitely, it, it's a different kind of style. And, uh, I, I think it works, it works well. Mm-hmm. What's also kind of nice about this one is the inks on this one are by Bill Everett. And he's the guy who created the Submariner in the, uh, Christ, I think maybe even 30s, at least early 40s. Wow, I did not know that. And so he's the guy who drew the whole backup story of Submariner. Oh, cool. But it adds a nice little bit of continuity. Hmm. Yeah, so what do you think of the different characters? Well, I've always liked the Hulk, and and Hulk was Hulk doing what Hulk does. Hulk Um, is delightful in this. Yes, he's great. He's such a a nice person. He, root. he just wants such to be a left. nice monster. He just he, wants to be left alone. He just wants to be left or alone or to have a friend. Mm-hmm. Like, that that was the part where I was just like, oh, man. Yeah, I wrote in big letters, I love the Hulk. And then I wrote under that, I love Namor. And then I wrote under that, Doctor Strange. <laughs> I really like Doctor Strange stories. I really like him as a character. He's a dick. He's a dick. A, a, and in a completely, like, oblivious way, he is a dick. It's like when we played D&D that one time and you played that cleric that had really high intelligence and very low wisdom and you were a dick to everyone. That was really fun. That is the only time I have ever played Dungeons and Dragons. It was fun. We should do that more. Yeah. Dr. Strange kind of reminded me of your cleric or vice versa. (laughs) It's, It's weird because it's tough for me to put my finger on what it is that bothers me about him because I was like, well, he's just so arrogant. And he is arrogant, but I mean, like, dude, he's in a comic book with Namor. Namor is arrogance personified Mm -hmm. i think what it comes down to for me is that namor is arrogant and dr strange is privileged Hmm. like not even just privileged he is just kind of privileged and there's an attendance attendant arrogance that goes along with it but it's like an oblivious type of arrogance where it's just like yes well i know best and so everyone will do what i say and i don't have time to worry about people's feelings or what their thoughts on anything is i'll just Tell them what to do, and if they don't do it immediately, I'll trick them into doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 bothersome to me. That being said, I do really like Doctor Strange. Yeah, no, he's he gets shit done, and he's an interesting character. But he's just he, yeah, he's kind of a dick about the way he gets things. Done. Well, and he specifically reminds me of just like northeastern leisure class, you know. Like, I think maybe part of it is just that it's he's like the rich rich kids across the lake or something. Yeah. yeah. No, he's like the rich kid's parents uh-huh. <laughs> from across the lake. It was just like, yeah, I mean, he's a brilliant surgeon, but I, I think that's just because he wanted to have something to do during the day. Mm. Um, Leisure surgeon. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, he stopped, stopped being a surgeon because he hurt his hands and then he trained in magic, etc. But I think kind of what it comes down to is the different uniforms that they all have. And that includes, although he is only in this issue very briefly, Silver Surfer. Mm. It's like Doctor Strange didn't get the dress code that it's just like, no, we're all going to wear shorts and no shirts. (laughs) And that's it. And Doctor Strange is just like, um, I am a very rich man. Therefore, I wear pajamas all day, every day Mm -hmm. and hang out in my study. And probably, I know I'm making this gesture with one hand, but the other one, there's probably a a, a snifter of brandy in. I can see that. Man, a nice pipe. Yeah. A smoking pipe. Right. And uh, <laughs> there's, as dickish as he is, there's something that appeals to me about that kind of character sure. in the abstract and in fiction. 
Yeah, that was it, it. It is weird though that I think like everybody else on the team is just like, no, we're wearing shorts and that's it. And I mean, the Hulk's the only one that's even wearing like longer shorts. His used to be pants. Mm-hmm. He, he's got like, mm, he's got situational jorts. Situational jorts. <laughs> well, it's like they didn't. He didn't set out to make jorts, but circumstances made them for him. Mm. The circumstances of him, you know, turning into the Hulk. What do you think of the story? Um, I thought the story was decent. I thought also that it kind of affectionately reminded me of some of Haney's stuff where there it wound up being this sort of needlessly complicated plot point at the end. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, I built this entire thing so that you would get these two other guys to destroy this building so that when they get to the middle destroying it at exactly the same time, it causes the thing to blow up. And it wouldn't have done that in the first place if you hadn't done this plan that I somehow made you do. I kind of love the evil genius Rube Goldberg device that is the plot of this story. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah, absolutely. It's like a double bluff that results in, haha, I knew you'd make these guys punch me, or failing that each other. Mm-hmm. And also that Doctor Strange is just like, oh, okay, I didn't want to do this for some reason, I guess, at the beginning, but I'll just make time exist in a different rate for this machine and then we don't have to worry about it ever or you could have just done that yeah you could have done that at the beginning and not totally fucked with the hulk and namor Mm -hmm. but well he needed them to get into the building where the omegatron was right i maybe but i think he he also just could have like he went in through the hole that they made that the hulk made and then he had to throw his magic into the eyes of the omegatron machine to get it to slow down time so i guess he kind of didn't <laughs> okay. need to be there okay good point still alvaru goldberg device yeah the, the fact that they included the silver surfer in this at all he comes up more in later <laughs> issues such definitely. a shitty entrance Dude, his whole introduction <laughs> oh my god I, I hit my head and i fell down <laughs> at this point in <laughs> cotton in really in the marvel universe that is kind of all the silver surfer does he's basically just a like confused pigeon (laughs) somebody just keeps polishing up the glass on that dome around the earth and he just keeps flying into it yeah at this point in the marvel universe silver surfer was the herald of galactus and then was like you know what i feel bad about this i'm gonna turn on galactus and he's not gonna eat the earth and then he gets sealed He, he his punishment for that is he's there's a dome around the earth that affects only him that he can never leave and so he keeps trying to, and he just keeps keeps biffing into it. I think Doctor Strange describes him as like a wounded. It might be the narrator that's describing that way. I actually, that wrote way, that down like too. a wounded osprey, he plummets to the earth. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, yeah, he is just kind of like a bird. That's a very poetic way of putting it. He falls earthward. Like a wounded osprey. Yeah. The prose is, is great. Dr. Thomas has some very flowery languages that he uses in this. Uh, he, he really, this kind of stuff and really his stuff on Conan the Barbarian is where Roy Thomas, I think, is at his best. Mm. Yeah, it's it's really good. There's some, there's some wonderfully flowery dialogue that goes on. One of the problems I had with it, and it's not with this book specifically, it's really with the whole Doctor Strange character, is his relationship with Wong makes me very uncomfortable. Just the, uh, that, that he has a a servant who calls him master, and that, yeah, it's not great. Feels weird. It does. I Weird, like, kind of almost colonialism, Oh, sort total of colonialism, yeah. Just, it. 
it's it's uncomfortable and it, and it it comes up here and it comes up in the doctor strange backup story too so at the beginning though like kind of the the whole plot device that drives this is the yandroth character who the guy that for some reason got hit by a truck and is dying right and wants the earth to be destroyed as soon as he's dead right like all men like all men, yeah. Which also, what the fuck? I actually really liked that line, and I really liked that like philosoph- philosophical like toss away line. And I don't think it's a philosophical truth, but I think the fact that Yendroth thinks that way is a really nice character building moment. Hmm. Your so, question? Yeah, but that seemed pretty out of the blue. Had they introduced him before the? Defenders? Yeah, he was a character in the old Doctor Strange series. Oh, okay, so that um, makes sense. And okay. he was the scientist supreme, who like had oh, no so. truck with magic, no truck with sorcery, mm-hmm. and then he chased Doctor Strange through a bunch of different dimensions and shit, and then got stuck in one of them, mm-hmm. and there he learned a whole bunch of magic, and then like learned a combination of science and sorcery, and that's how he built Omegatron. There was one of my favorite um, things, like we were talking about in the last episode, where they're just like, and then this thing happened, but but like, never you mind how. He actually says, and I got back to Earth, never mind how. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. That's absolutely, like, <laughs> I think last week it was, I posited that every Bob Rosakis story should contain the line, for some reason. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, no, that is very much a, I, I really enjoy it when they throw that in there. Never you mind. It's just, 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 things, yeah, just go happened. with it. Things happened. Yeah, it really reminds me of that line, and I think it was three the hard way, where after the whole plot is explained, <laughs> one of the characters goes, "Well, you're kind of light on the details there, but okay, yeah. <laughs> moving along." <laughs> Classic. One of the other things that I really enjoyed was the uh, introduction of Ezra and Sari, the old main couple. <laughs> Yeah, who give them directions to the lighthouse, and uh, and there's a, a, a mannerism, if you will. Oh yes, in there, which you know, I don't think I've actually seen put in print outside of maybe a, the odd Stephen King book, which is which is the phrase, not even phrase, but like the utterance, um, "Aya." Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Like, see, seeing "Aya" written out it brought back good times. Yeah, that's. One of those funny things that I think, though, you maybe are required to be in your 60s or 70s before you can start saying it. I never heard young people say it back east. I don't... I feel like I might have. I feel like it's an old, like, Mainer Oh, it's definitely something that I associate with old Mainers, but, like, one of my favorite things about living near Maine and when we would visit Maine would be seeing, like, punk rock teens with thick Maine accents. (laughs) It is the most adorable thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah, I'm filled with rage. Anarchy in the slow lane. <laughs> Anarchy in Brewster. <laughs> Anarchy in Portland. <laughs> oh, man. We need to also get our heads on that. The tape of, I had a friend who worked at CD Baby for a long time. And one of the things that he stumbled across there was... This self-published audio CD that this dude from Maine with a thick Maine accent did of his erotica, (laughs) which is some of the best shit I have ever heard. Her sweater. (laughs) There was no disguise in what was going on under her Nordic sweater. (laughs) She had the type of body you don't often see north of Brattleboro. Yeah, uh, amazing. (laughs) I gotta meet that guy. Um, but 
<laughs> but I, yeah, I really like the introduction of uh, Ezra and Sari, and I hope we see more of them. Likewise. But that does bring into, so I already brought up their various costumes. Which one of the, uh, of the let's call them four, let's include the Silver Surfer in this, Defenders, do you think has the best costume? Best costume? Yeah. You know, I think Doctor Strange's PJs and giant cloak with the with the, the pointy the ass collar. The cape with the PJs. And that big ass amulet. Yeah. Is pretty It's badass. a nice, it's kind of Dracula-y. I also, I got a soft spot for, I mean, it's very simplistic in form. But the uh, Namor's uh, green-scaled Speedo. It's a pretty badass Speedo. It is. I like it better. He actually, in the, I think it's later on in the 70s, he gets kind of like a, a half shirt. The kind that for a while there, every black superhero had, where it's mm-hmm. like maybe a vest. It's the suggestion of a shirt without actually having a shirt. Mm-hmm. But he gets one of those and some like underarm, like Spider-Man style wings. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm like some little tiny armpit wings in it. And that's actually a really good look for him. But yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Probably Doctor Strange has the best. The the PJs with, as Sari, or I'm sorry, as Ezra describes it briefly, I thought he had an opery cloak. Yeah. Yeah. That was nice. It is very operatic yeah. in style. It is. It is indeed. Also, and you noticed this, and I never had, on the cover of this issue... Uh, this issue, by the way, of the Defenders' first appearance in Marvel feature number one, the one that we have been reading, is signed by Neil Adams. Thank you, Neil Adams. Um, there is Doctor Strange has six fingers on his right hand. <laughs> you know, I I looked at that a little closer, and I think what it is is it's supposed to be like the the wrinkle, the crease in your palm. Really? But it but it really does look like he's got six fingers. I'm pretty sure he just straight up has six fingers on that. Yeah, it could be. He looked, he oh, look okay. I didn't see what you were saying with the crease in the palm, but you you might be right. It really does look like he has six fingers, though. His hand looks like one of those weird fruits at the fancy grocery store, the Buddha's palm. That's oh, totally. <laughs> I bet that's one of the things. I, I wonder if he ever swears anything by the Buddha's palm. Oh, I don't know. Most of his stuff sounds more like H.P. Lovecraft stuff. Yeah, kind of. Okay, so do you want to do the minutiae of this story, or do you want to move on to the backup stories and come back and do the best dialogue, best panel after that? Let's move on and come back. Okay. Sounds good. So, what did you think of the Namor story? I thought it was delightful. It was extremely heavy on dialogue. Yeah. But, uh, man, his crazy fish-faced mustache having large-eyed brethren... And Sisterin. Dude, that, that's my really my whole takeaway from that story was Atlanteans have crazy ass stashes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times their mouths are like all just sort of like squiggly. Yeah. Yeah, it was a different, I mean, that, it's a reprint from a story from the 50s and Golden Age artwork is really different looking. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Everett's art actually, I, I think, is pretty pretty high end for for a lot of what was going on in the in the 40s and it it was it wasn't bad it it also the the characterization of namor this was definitely the kinder gentler namor that you got later on he has had as a character throughout his career like more heel and face turns than any pro wrestler i can think of with the possible exception of the big show but like he just goes back and forth between whether he's a bad guy or a good guy so much but what's kind of nice about it is his character is usually pretty consistent except 
during this period in the later Golden Age. This is after he had joined up with the invaders and become pretty much just a flat-out good guy, and he's definitely much more vanilla at this time. Hmm. And speaks less dramatically than I'm used to him speaking. Hmm. Like, I like him making exclamations, but suffering Shad, that's something I'd expect more from, like, Aqualad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of suffering. It, it made me actually miss... Life. Yeah. It made me kind of miss Aqualad seeing, like, exclamations like, Great Gar! And mm-hmm. suffering Seals! Mm-hmm. Which is a total ripoff of suffering Shad. It's what his dad says is suffering Seals. But mm. I think... I think that's an example of his dad, like, doing a Bob Haney. And, like, this is how you kids talk, right? And he's like, no, Dad, we say suffering Shad, not suffering Seals. Yeah. God, you're so old. (laughs) With your cool mustache. Your giant black eyes. Yeah. My other, uh, but my favorite thing that he says things like that is Neptune's noggin. Yeah. Yeah. That was really fun. That was, that was fun. Uh, There was, I'm, I'm trying to think, there was one other line where... A very dire decision is made so offhandedly that it, it totally struck me in it, and it's Namor is convincing his dad not to re, not to uh, not to let the humans just bomb them because he thinks the humans are bad at this point. Mm-hmm. And his dad goes, "No, Namor, you were right. I have an idea. Namora, you're a clever young girl. Perhaps while Namor organizes a counterattack, you could slip aboard the invader ship and indulge in a bit of sabotage." Yes. And she just says, "Why? I'd be delighted to." Yeah, like okay. <laughs> I'll go blow them up. I think that might be actually a fairly common conversation in the Namor family. Mm. But I I liked that. I thought that was, it, it was a fun story. It was a nice throwback to the Golden Age. And it's nice to see the Bill Everett art where he's doing the inks on the main feature. Mm-hmm. Anything you wanted else you wanted to talk about about that one? Yeah, I feel also that the kind of a ship captain guy who's like the lead human in it, yeah. it, it does have this real like, uh, 1950s thing of like you know we're just uh, gonna pass through your land to go get our uranium for science and progress and um, that's cool right and they're like oh if it's for science and progress that's totally oh, cool oh absolutely no go it's ahead. got a total like Tom Swift mm-hmm. and yeah. his atomic fertilizer spreader feel to it <laughs> <laughs> very much yeah uh, yeah no I, I I definitely got that vibe from it too so what what do you think of the Doctor Strange backup story I liked it also, it's it's pretty dark. Yeah, you know. Uh, and I I don't know. I I think it. You know, I don't want to excuse him being a dick all the time, but like knowing that he just has this mantle that he sort of tried to put down and now can never be rid of. Like that's gonna make yeah. you kind of act like a dick sometimes, right? Yeah. Uh, I I think that was. I really think that's who just kind of who he is. But he has like also. I think more than anything, it's just having pretty much godlike power mm-hmm. much in the same way that being very wealthy in some ways is having godlike power you kind of forget that not everyone does mm-hmm. and that you have to explain yourself and still talk to other human beings like they are human beings or you know hulks mm-hmm. uh or namors yeah but so i think it was i think it was a necessary story to have at the end because of what had happened previously in marvel because when at the end of Doctor Strange, when his series got canceled, he had a brief crossover in Submariner and then in the Hulk, and then decided that he was going to stop being Doctor Strange, and he was going to be Steven Sanders, and he was basically done with all of this shit. And so this was just kind of a reset to like, like, 
Well, now he's back, and here's why. Mm -hmm. And as a necessary, like, okay, we need to get from this point to this point story, Mm -hmm. I think it works pretty well. With, again, the exception of Wong is drawn in this in a way that makes me very uncomfortable. He he is drawn as a racial stereotype of mm-hmm. an Asian man. And I think that was kind of de rigueur at this point in mm-hmm. Marvel. And honestly, with its portrayal of Asian characters more than almost any other group, it was for whatever reason, just like, no, we'll still have villains like the Yellow Claw and shit like that, who are these total fucking like 1940s propaganda cartoons. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, that one just got glossed over for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And it sucks. And I don't like it. Mm-hmm. That aside, pretty decent story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you ready to dive into this shit? Let's. All right. What was your favorite dialogue? Well, we already touched on one of my choices, which was Doctor Strange off-panel narrating about poor <laughs> Silver Surfer. <laughs> I had that written down as well, obviously. Yeah. Falling earthward like a wounded osprey. So since that one's basically been exhausted, I, I went totally in the other direction away okay. from sparkly prose to uh, one of my favorite offerings from our green friend, the Hulk. Oh, who, as he's trying to beat his way into this fortress, like accidentally like steps in the acid <laughs> and says, "The acid hurting Hulk's feet," and I, it just cracked me up the way that he. I, said I that, that kind of self narration. It works when it's the Hulk. Yeah. We we talked a little bit earlier about like how some of the self-narration as exposition came across, across as very clunky in the DC Presents issue that we read. With the Hulk, it just kind of makes sense. Yeah, like, I love it's, it. He doesn't have enough cogs firing to have an internal monologue and an exterior mm-hmm. monologue. And my, my, my other one, follow, just following on that, is is another one from the Hulk. And it's when he's, he, by the time he makes it in, you know, he's hurt his foot. They threw fire. At, he's, like, pretty pissed off. <laughs> yeah. And the best he comes up with was, I'm coming for you. Do you hear me? I am coming for you. So which one was your favorite? Look at him go. Um, I think it's the acid hurts Hulk's foot. Fair enough. I got a couple that. Man, I'm I'm gonna have maybe you can help me figure out which one. <laughs> one of my favorites is when both the Hulk and Namor, two of the strongest beings in the Marvel universe, are trying to punch him in the head. Doctor Strange yelling, <laughs> "In the name of the Eternal Vashanti, touch me not!" Yeah, <laughs> and he's the way it's drawn too is pretty hilarious. Yeah, I I feel like just like this might happen a fair amount whether it's being hit or anything else just Doctor Strange has like a weird like Howie Mandel I don't want to be touched by anybody thing Mm -hmm. like not even necessarily a germophobia but just like this sort of thing where it's just like oh shit no don't don't touch his head don't don't touch Doctor Strange's head Mm -hmm. he'll just start shrieking like a pterodactyl yeah um, and flailing about I also really liked we touched on this a little bit but as I said the scientist supreme Yandroth's statement of every man wants the world to end when he dies but only i shall fulfill that dream i really liked that i i, I think that really works and i really liked still for a minute there i could have sworn he was wearing an opry cape <laughs> <laughs> oh and man i told you there's there's so much to choose from this might actually i think this is going to be my favorite it is when dr strange has tricked the hulk into following the ghost of Doctor, the astral form of Doctor Strange that he has sent out specifically to be a dick to the Hulk mm-hmm. and to goad him into following him. Mm-hmm. 
And he's like, oh, come on, Hulk, you can smash things. Won't that be great? That's what you like, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And the Hulk's like, I don't care about smashing. I don't, I don't see glory in battle. You're mm-hmm. thinking of some other dude. I just want to be left alone or to be a friend. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, if it's a friend, then Dr. Strange says, then a friend is what I shall be, behemoth. <laughs> I know. He's just like, dude, throw that even in there. for one second. Not even a whole sentence. Come on. Yeah. Can't even get a whole sentence out without being a dick to the Hulk. God. And it, I know it comes from a good place with him, but still, God damn it, Doctor Strange. Yeah, I think that's probably my favorite. One of my favorite bits of, not dialogue, but of caption words. Uh, I don't know what you really even call those. Mm. Uh, of the narrator's dialogue is when it talk- is talking about his Greenwich apartment mm-hmm. or his Greenwich brownstone mm-hmm. and how it's been abandoned for a while now. Mm-hmm. And it says, sad winged bats, it's only visitors. Yes. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what? Yeah. Sad winged bats? Yeah. It's like the bats just like sitting there like looking at its wings. It's like. Oh, these things suck. I hate these fucking wings. Man, how about some feathers? Fucking dicks. Everybody calls me a flying rat. Man. I want to be a majestic osprey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that cracked me up, too. Yeah. I vote for choice number one, because the artwork that goes along with it is pretty hilarious. He's uh, stumbling back, and he looks terrified that he's going to get punched in the name of the eternal vicente. Touch me not! (laughs) Yeah, next time uh, somebody wants to beat me up. (laughs) Oh, no. I think that might work. Just the touch me not part. Okay, would you go with... I think think you really should throw in by the Eternal Vashanti. (laughs) Touch me not. Maybe Uh, next time I'm losing losing a jujitsu match. Or possibly, I still think, do you think that would work better or worse than... No, you could ruin my perfect features! (laughs) (laughs) Perfection. (laughs) Yeah. That was from the Patreon-only episode, uh, where we covered Wonder Woman 265 and 266, where there were appearances of Wonder Girl and Mr. Jupiter. If you would like to listen to these episodes, give us some money, please. If not, let your imaginations fill in the blanks. There is a character who says, Don't hit me! You could ruin my perfect features! Which I think may be less effective than... By the eternal Vashanti. Touch, touch me, me not. not. I'm going with touch me not. Because the other dude's just going to be like, dude, I wasn't going to... What? <laughs> we just get weird super and then, you, and then you can, like, kung fu real good, right? Yeah. That's what happens in these things, right? I wouldn't know, but I assume. So I hope so. Okay. So, I have a co-worker who is also into jujitsu, jitsu mm-hmm. And I've heard you guys both describe it as rolling mm-hmm. is what it... It's always very confusing to me when you talk about how much you enjoy rolling, because that is also what you call being on ecstasy. <laughs> and it seems that they're very different experiences. I did not know that. Yes. Um, they're, they're both enjoyable, probably in pretty different ways. <laughs> I, I cannot imagine that they would be at all enjoyable in conjunction. I think you'd just be really bad <laughs> at jujitsu. Probably. I think it would probably just be pretty awkward, actually. It would just... Yeah. There was a Dr. Dre line that always really <laughs> cracked me up that was, uh, yo, I just took some ecstasy. No telling yet what the effects could be. Like, oh, I know what the effects are going to be. You're going to want hugs. Everybody's going to want hugs. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, doing ecstasy is a weird thing to try to sound thuggish about, Dre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're just going to be very well disposed towards people. Yep. Sit on the couch, touch the couch. <laughs> try to live in the couch. <laughs> this couch feels amazing, man. Yeah. Don't do drugs. Drugs are bad. Yeah, most of them. Um, so, what was your favorite... <laughs> What was your favorite panel? You know, Hulk is kind of killing it in this one for me. He, he does a great job. And Ross Andrew does a really great job drawing him, too. Yep. And so I had two choices. One is one is uh, featuring the Hulk, and one is featuring Namor. And the first one featuring the Hulk, which I think is my favorite, is on page 11, and I titled it Very Surprised Hulk. Okay. And uh, it's where he's really mad at Doctor Strange for being such an asshole, and he's picked up a giant rock, and he's going to oh. smash him over the head. Yeah. And uh, Namor stops it, and and uh, Hulk is super confused that the rock didn't smash him, and it just zooms <laughs> in on his face, and he's just like, looks like, <laughs> this isn't what happens when I smash people with a giant rock. Mm-hmm. I've smashed a lot of people with a giant rock, and I usually know exactly how that goes. Yep, he looks very kind of hurt and confused and sad and disappointed and, yeah. and just everything all at once. I, I like that. I also liked when the... The astral Doctor Strange initially shows up, and Hulk just <laughs> wings him, wings him with a tree, mm-hmm. like that just goes through the astral form. Mm-hmm. But the sound effect that it makes when he tries to hit him with a tree mm. is flam. Oh yeah, which reminds me of the Lloyd Alexander's Pride and Chronicle books with Fluter Flam. Mm-hmm. You ever read like the Black Cauldron and the Book oh, of Three? Yeah, not yeah, for one like of the main a, characters a thousand is, years. Uh, is Fluter Flam, and yeah, heartstrings break when he tells a lie. It's terrific. It is terrifying to me the amount of information from things read long ago that is in your head. I, what makes you think I read those young, those early reader fiction long ago? Uh, Today. <laughs> yeah. The amount of useful information in my head is also frightening in the opposite direction. <laughs> well, at least you're consistent. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Uh, what was your other favorite hulk panel uh, the other one actually touches on exactly what we were talking about earlier where it was a scene a panel on page 13 in which dr strange has just finished telling hulk and namor you must go destroy this thing for me and namor's like whoa buddy like i'm not your lackey yeah don't talk to me like I'll that do it because it needs to be done but yeah and <laughs> and he's he's watch point, your tone he's pointing and doing like the talk to the hand thing at the same time and looking super proud i fucking love namor yeah he's great ha i want to make some somebody mentioned when i posted the uh the logo that i made for the tighten up the defense Mm. because it's got the new teen titans and the defenders on it and somebody used the phrase like aqualad no i'm not coming but i know a guy and describing Namor that way, I really want to make a Namor Aqualad buddy cop movie. <laughs> <laughs> Namor is like the loose cannon veteran cop, and Aqualad is his new rookie partner. Oh, yeah, that could totally. Wouldn't work. that be fun? That would be adorable. Oh man, the only problem is there's no rules under the sea. Mm. So, like, how can you be by the book? Mm. Still, I, I I want to make that movie. Or rather, I want someone to make that movie for me and give me credit for it. Yeah, yeah, well. Start. It's kind of a through line with my ideas. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Just start talking to people. All right. All right. Uh, that's what I'm doing right now. 
Hey guys, anybody out there makes make movies? A, make a buddy cop movie with Namor and Aqualad. <laughs> Please. I, this is why I wish there was still the amalgam line of terrible comics that came out in the 90s. They did a brief, like, DC-Marvel crossover where they did, like, mashup titles. One of the most 90s things ever, maybe, is their depiction of Wolver- a Wolverine Batman mashup called Dark Claw. Oh. Which... I, I feel like there should be a book t- called, like, Dark Claw, the story of 1990s comic books. Hmm. That's another one, anybody But if we could bring back that line, wants to write. then, uh, really, man, buddy cop movie. Hmm. Aqualad and Namor, that'd be so much fun. That would be fun. Uh, my favorite panels, I had a couple. One of them is the one in which Touch Me Not. It's going down. Yeah. It's just, it's it's cool looking. And I also really like when Ezra and Sari are saying uh, goodbye, like after they leave. And he's like, I thought he was wearing an Opry cloak. Mm -hmm. You just see Sari just kind of preening at the fact that she touched, that she just talked to a handsome young man Hmm. who was dressed like a weird 1940s gangster. Because that's inconspicuous in upstate Maine, apparently. In the wee hours before dawn. Yeah, yeah. It's three o'clock in the morning. I'm going to show up at a stranger's door. I'm going to want to dress like I'm an extra from Dick Tracy. Of course. I do kind of like that that's Dr. Strange's version of inconspicuous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it worked in this situation. And just like, yeah, the look on Sari's face particularly, where she's just kind of preening and being like, what a nice, polite young man. Mm-hmm. You know, Ezra's not like jealous or anything. It's just like they there's something in the way that that panel goes where it's just like, you kind of get a glimpse into the life of this nice older main couple. And Mm -hmm. I enjoyed that. But I think my favorite one is Dr. Strange's astral form leaving the hospital where Yandroth is dying or has just died. It's just him in astral form going through a wall, but it's just really nicely drawn, really nicely rendered and has kind of a a spookiness, but also kind of a sense of urgency to it. And I, I just really liked how it, how it all carried off. Mm Mm-hmm. Is there anything else we need to... Oh, you know what? Okay, who is your favorite defender? Who is your least favorite defender? Most favorite defender, Hulk. Least favorite defender, even though he did an awesome job as Doctor Strange. But just because he was so mean to Hulk in his initial like way of getting him to join. like He goes invisible and pushes him down. Yeah, like, That's the very first thing he does. Okay, so I'm going to say best defense is... I agree. The Hulk. Hmm. Just he's he he's a fucking charmer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's I I he he's great in this and he just the line it's kind of heartbreaking when he says or you could be my friend. Mm-hmm. It's like oh oh the Hulk. Yeah, I'm gonna say worst offense. Well, let's break them down that way. Best defense, worst defense. Well, Silver Surfer did Silver not Surfer. That's what I'm very well whatsoever. <laughs> he. <laughs> He just straight up ospreyed into that that glass ceiling. Yeah, he, um, <laughs> he gets the pigeon award. Yeah, oof. So yeah, I yeah, I gotta give that to Silver Surfer. That's yeah. If we're breaking it down like that, that's there's <laughs> that's the clear choice. How, how do you feel about the series in general? Because this is far more than okay. I, as we have said, we've been comparing this favorably to the Titans premiere. I do want to bring up real quickly the Titans premiere. It's not really fair to compare them because this is the launch of a book. And the Titans book was a 16 page preview 
that was written after the, he had already written the first two issues of the Titans. Mm. And then were asked, okay, why don't you write this other thing that will introduce these characters? So it, it, it's a separate kind of entity. It, it was a more rushed and also had to be a standalone story that gives a glimpse into the future without affecting it. Mm-hmm. So by those parameters, I think it did pretty well. But that being said, how, how do you feel this works as a launch for the book? I feel like it, it works pretty well. It also sets it up at the end for basically the Hulk and Namor are both like, fuck this shit. <laughs> like, like, that is how I, in my memory, because I've read all of the issues of the Defenders, but not in a very long time. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe half the issues end with all of the Defenders saying, fuck this. Yeah. And, and basically they declare almost once an issue, we're not really a team. Mm-hmm. Like, we sure, we get together every month and work as a team and fight bad guys, but we're not a team. Uh, and, and that's kind of one of the things that I like about the book. But it, it is also, it's a tough thing to sustain. The, the like, team of definitive loners. Yeah, exactly. That team up and fight together. So, and basically, you know, Namor is in it for Gotta Save the Planet. Hulk just sure. wants a friend. You know, Doctor Strange has to stop this thing that he has somehow put in motion so like they've all got pretty different i guess reasons for for doing what they're gonna do and it'll be interesting to see how those unfold yeah will the hoax hulk's quest for being left alone or friendship pan out man that's tough if those are the two things you want to he's a he's a he's a complicated complicated man yep (laughs) and no one understands him but his woman john shaft (laughs) uh Whenever I hear the song Shaft, there's that part of the song where it's, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, he's a complicated I, man and no one understands him but his woman. And then all of the backup singers say, John Shaft. Shaft. Yeah. And they're just emphasizing that that's who they're talking about, but it really sounds like his woman is named John Shaft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like in that Danzig song, Mother, there's also some like lyrical confusion where he's saying, Mother, gonna take your daughter out tonight, which... Sounds incestuous, I mean, if you, oh, totally. if you think of it. Yeah. Li- you know, literally. Yeah. Mother gonna take your daughter. Wait, is that him? Well, I don't know. I'm bad with these word problems. <laughs> <laughs> no. His, no. Uh, His mother, daughter would be You have sister. to do surgery on me tonight, but you can't be my dad because it's a woman who's a doctor. Corey. Whoa, dude, what? <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Send us your word problems. <laughs> we'll be happy to uh, help. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I love this issue. This, this was really fun. I'm really excited about doing the rest of the Defender stuff, and I'm really excited about this new podcast. And next week, we will be back with the new Teen Titans number one, which I'm also actually excited about. So, yeah, uh, stay tuned and keep on doing things that you like to do. Touch me not. Oh, that's a way better catchphrase. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.